This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is South Dakota U.S. Senator John Thune. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with U.S. Senator John Thune next. America's farmers and ranchers are relying on crop insurance now more than ever before to provide individualized protection and to secure operating loans. Protecting more than 290 million acres of farmland and more than 130 commodities across the U.S., crop insurance is the primary safety net for many farmers, enabling them to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. Crop insurance, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. South Dakota U.S. Senator John Thune will be a key GOP leader in the 114th Congress. Senator Thune chairs the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Technology, as well as serving on the Senate Committee of Agriculture and Senate Finance. Senator Thune will have a hand in debate over tax policy reform, the Highway Trust Fund, and financial resources for inland waterways, preserving both farm policy and funding from the new Farm Bill. Thune believes a divided government can be successful. History has proven that um, under you know President Reagan, Social Security reform in 1983, tax reform in 1986, both negotiated with the Democrat House of Representatives under Tip O'Neill. Uh, President Clinton, Democrat president, working with the Republican Congress to do welfare reform, balance, first balanced budget in a generation. So there's a lot of there's a lot of running room if the parties are committed to uh, to getting some things done. Now, granted, there are going to be differences on some big issues, and there are clearly differences between uh, many in my party and the president uh, on on a lot of issues when it comes to um, you know the size of government and uh, tax policy, et cetera. But there are some things I think that we can work together on that would be good for the economy and good for jobs. And I'm hoping the president will come to the table and join with uh, congressional Republicans to try and get some of the things some of those things done. There was a meeting between the president and GOP leaders and talked about the things that perhaps the two sides could compromise on. What are the things that absolutely should come before this uh, Congress and be concluded? What are the things could and what are the things that probably won't, especially with the presidential election looming in 16? Well, you know, I, I was at that meeting, and there are some things that uh, I think the president outlined, which we agree uh, we ought to be able to get uh, bipartisan support for, and that the president hopefully will sign. One is trade promotion authority, awfully important to production agriculture in South Dakota. 31% of our gross farm income now comes from, from exports, and um, so having a good, strong, robust trade policy with uh, Asia and with Europe, which is, those are the two agreements that are uh, awaiting action and won't get enacted until we past trade promotion authority is something I think we ought to be able to do together, and I hope the president will get more engaged on it than he has been before. He talked about cybersecurity uh, issues, and those are issues that we have a great interest in, particularly based on what's happening, what has happened in the last year with some of the hacks on Sony and some of our retailers. So uh, that's another area. I think there's some uh, national security issues, uh, authorization for the use of military force with uh, uh, ISIS, some of these uh, terrorist uh, uh, organizations that we're fighting right now. I think there's some common ground there. 
I think there are some things that could get done, Jeff, uh, one of which, and I talked to the president about this, is tax reform. And, and actually even uh, uh, transportation funding being a part of that uh, discussion. And he, he seems to be open to that. We'll see again whether or not he actually follows through. I think it's going to be hard to get uh, as much as we will try, and we will. Uh, we'll try to get Obamacare uh, repealed, get Obamacare changes through, but he's very dug in on that. We'll try and get regulatory changes made. There are a number of regulatory policies that are driving up the cost of energy and everything else in this country, and uh, we'll try really hard to get some of those reversed. But the president is uh, is in a very different place when it comes to his view of the role of government, and um, and I think that uh, we're going to continue to fight for the interests of hardworking taxpayers in this country to make government more efficient, more effective, more accountable to the American people, and um, and so we'll probably we'll probably have some uh, some run-ins on some of those issues, and those will be hard to get done. The Nebraska Supreme Court has ruled on the XL pipeline. What makes Keystone XL Pipeline the number one issue that comes in the Senate and debate with the president? Well, it's an expression of our willingness to um, support energy, domestic energy production in this country, to support the infrastructure that it depends upon, and uh, and to create a lot of jobs. I mean, the president's own State Department said it would support 42,000 jobs. Now, the opponents are arguing, yeah, but those are construction jobs. They're not. They're not. Tem- they're just temporary. Well, of course, any construction job is temporary, but tell that to, to people who are in the construction business. That's what they do. They work on projects, and they move on to the next one. And, um, you know, the, the, the amount of um, traffic that it would... Uh, free up in terms of rail transportation for agricultural commodity shipments. You know, right now we're with all the oil coming out of the Bakken, it's going on rail and uh, putting that on the in the pipeline, which is a much more uh, you know cost-effective, efficient, and less environmental and uh, environmentally uh, harmful way of transporting uh, those types of commodities. Just makes sense for so many reasons, and so it's it's been stalled out for a long time. Uh, Republicans, many of them across the country campaigned on trying to get this thing jump-started, and so we indicated that it would be one of the very early issues that we would vote on, and uh, Senator McConnell has, uh, has put it on the floor of the Senate, and I think the House will follow shortly after. We will pass it, and the question is whether the president will sign it. What of 54 votes in the majority, 60 to break the filibuster, and 66 to override? I think we'll get to the, the we'll, we'll get over 60 um, on, on final passage. I think we'll probably get in the 63, maybe 64 range. But the question is, yeah, is there are there the two thirds there? The, can you get to 67 uh, votes in the Senate to override the president's veto? And um, you know that I think is is going to be a very heavy lift. But you know we won't know. We won't know until the process plays out, and we'll find out if there are uh, really any moderate Democrats in the Senate who really want to um, get serious about uh, good energy solutions and uh, solutions that are good for jobs in the economy in this country. Uh, I hope there are enough necessary or the requisite number of, of Democrats to override a presidential veto, but we won't probably know that until the time comes. From the Finance Committee, has Chairman Hatch shared with you his goals for tax reform? And would those be permanent reforms? Would that be top to bottom? And where would you accomplish that? 
It's uh, he has as Chairman Hatch has put out a, a, a lot of various ideas and proposals. Uh, nothing in legislative language yet, but um, I think what we want to see happen with the tax code is make it less complicated. I mean, it is crazy, stunning how complicated the tax code has become. And you know, I mean, it's uh, I don't know how many times it's the size of the Bible in terms of it shouldn't be that hard. To, uh, to comply with the tax code in this country. So simple, fair, and, and, and something that really helps grow the economy. If you lower rates, if you broaden the tax base and lower rates, you can, um, I think, I think you'd unleash a period of economic growth in this country unlike anything that we've seen in a long time. That was certainly the case the last time that we did this in 1986 with Ronald Reagan. But our country, particularly on a business uh, level right now, is not competitive in the global marketplace. We have the second highest corporate tax rate in the world, and uh, that makes no sense. And so I, I think that uh, a tax reform that is really focused on economic growth, creating jobs, um, lowering rates, and simplifying and making the tax code more fair is really what we ought to be focused on. And I think that's where Senator Hatch is going, and uh, we're having and we'll continue to have uh, a number of discussions about that and hopefully be able to produce a bill some point later this year that will accomplish a lot of those objectives. Would that be a part of the budget process? Could be, um, and remains to be seen. I mean, I've, I'm actually open to the idea. I've kind of been talking about the idea of using budget reconciliation to get a tax reform bill passed just because it would be so good for our economy and so good for growth and so good for jobs, which is really what we need to be we, we need to be focused on. On the Commerce Committee, obviously, we know the chairman there. Uh, we have a highway trust fund that is in dire need. Um, the whole country is in dire need of many areas in spending. How is this different than other uh, budget shortfalls, and, and where are the possibilities? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, one thing that we need to do if we, in terms of highway spending is, is make some spending reforms that would uh, help us use our highway funds a lot more efficiently. I think we can find some savings there. But then we've got to figure out how are we going to come up with the extra 80 to $100 billion to fully fund the highway bill for a five- or six-year period. We've been doing these things in stopgap measures with Band-Aid solutions that fund it for six months or a year, and the current one expires on May 31st. So we have to have a solution. And a lot of people are, there are people out there who are talking about, you know, an increase in the user fee and the gas tax, which has historically been the way that it's funded. Uh, there are people who are talking about um, a, a royalty on energy. Energy production is a way of financing um, infrastructure and highways in this country. And then the other one that's being talked about and it's gone, gained a lot of favor is using repatriated uh, tax earnings. I mean, people who have earnings, uh, multinational corporations have earnings overseas, allowing them to be brought back into this country and taxed at a lower rate and use that to fund infrastructure. So those are just give you an idea of what's out there. I actually have sort of thrown this idea out of using tax reform, which would include uh, moving to a territorial tax system, and, and that would allow a lot of those repatriated funds to come back into the U.S., but do it in the context of tax reform, so we're not just using it one time, but actually getting the benefit of, uh, of lowering rates uh, in addition to, to funding infrastructure. So, and, 
that's one of the issues, that, one of the ideas that's out there as well. Uh, Secretary Vilsack spending some time talking about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, the need for this industry to continue to be able to settle the globe, but also recognizing taking the advantage of opportunities. Uh, a half a million middle class in that region growing to two billion within the next 15 years, a deal that would bring together 40% of the world's gross domestic product. This is an important deal in the eyes of many, but is it in the eyes of all that could bring uh, fast track for the administration? That's that's the, the that's the big question: is how how committed is the uh, president and his team, and and will they help secure Democrat votes in Congress uh, for it? Because we th- we think it ought to be bipartisan. It ought to be something that uh, enjoys uh, broad support. It is critically important to the economy. And you think about where all the the growth in the world is, um, and uh, the enormous opportunity that presents for American agriculture. American farmers are going to have to feed uh, not only our country but feed the world. And um, and I think that uh, they're preparing to do that. We've got the technology and the know-how and the productivity. But now we've got to have the markets, and uh, that's where these trade agreements come into play. And I, I hope, you know, the president, like I said before, has paid a lot of lip service to this issue, but I've never seen him really put his shoulder to the wheel when it comes to trying to get these trade promotion authority, or you refer to it as fast track, which is what it, how it used to be referred to, get that across the finish line. But we're going to need his help to do that because we're going to need Democrat votes in the Senate where everything takes 60 votes. Uh, just from an observation, I don't see a full-court press here. You don't see press conference. I mean, Secretary Vilsack's talking about it. But in other areas of the administration, and even the president yourself, you don't seem to sense an urgency that this must be done and this be, must be done. Now, of course, there's still reluctance from the Japanese to completely come to the table, so the deal's not done, but we're inching closer. Well, and I don't think the deal gets done until we have trade promotion authority, because any, none of these countries are going to negotiate with us if they believe that the agreement has to come back and every line um, be, you know, debated and discussed and dissected by Congress. The only thing that gets these uh, things across, these agreements across the finish line, is trade promotion authority that gives the president the authority to negotiate uh, these agreements uh, on our behalf. And and you're right. I mean, I don't understand it at all um, why the uh, administration is appears to be so ambivalent about this uh, when it's so important to our economy. And frankly, you've got Republicans in Congress wanting to give a Democrat president a lot of authority <laughs> to negotiate trade agreements, and, uh, and they just don't seem to be engaged. And I know that there are Democrats in Congress who, for uh, various reasons, don't don't support this, but we need the president's help to get this done. President's executive order on Cuba. Is this a decision that the U.S. Congress can vote to support? I think the things that he has done administratively uh, probably are the things at this point that, that will get done, because I don't see a vote in Congress to lift the embargo absent um, the evidence of political reforms in Cuba. I just don't think that, and, I've, and I'm someone who supported, you know, opening up ag trade with Cuba going back to my days in the House of Representatives, but I do believe that you want to reward good behavior, not bad behavior. And I think to get the votes in Congress to, to uh, end the embargo, it would take um, 
you know, uh, we would have to see something demonstrable proof that uh, Cuba really is moving down a path toward democratic uh, political and economic reforms. Legislation proposed in your chamber that would require regulatory agencies to to vet the effect on the economy and jobs and the environment. Does that stand a chance of becoming law, or is that more discussion? It's, it's, it stands a chance, a very good chance, of bath, passing both the House and the Senate. Uh, again, you'd have to have some Democrats to get to 60 in the Senate. But um, it is a, that is a, such a sound idea. I mean, we, we are just being absolutely crushed uh, our economy is by the cost of regulation in this country. A uh, number I've heard, $1.8 trillion a year is what it's costing the economy. And some of this stuff of late the administration's come out with is crazy. I mean, they, and, and most of it, a lot of it comes out of the EPA. But the RAINS Act, which is the, 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 the you know, the bill to which you're referring would require that any time there is a regulatory agency that issues regulations where the economic impact on the economy would be $100 million or more, it'd have to be voted on by Congress. That just makes sense. I mean, that, that's absolutely, to me, is just common sense. And it ought to pass. And uh, like I said, I think we'll, it'll pass in the House. Uh, I think we can probably, we'll see if we can get the you know, number of Democrats to get on board, pass it in the Senate. But again, you run into a presidential veto, and then it takes uh, two-thirds uh, in both houses to override it. So I'm not holding my breath that we're going to get that through under this president. But I'll tell you what, it is an idea whose time has come. And uh, certainly the impacts on the economy are really being felt of this enormous uh, just proliferation of regulations coming out of this administration. Uh, We're coming on the one-year anniversary of the signature of uh, the Farm Bill. In this 114th Congress, in the debate for fiscal policy for fiscal year 2015, do you see agriculture and farm state leaders having to mount a charge to protect the funds and the policies that have been approved? It could, and you know what what worried me about this farm bill all along, Jeff. I had reservations about the final version of the commodity title because of the potential cost, and and I still do. I mean, I, I believe there are a number of the target prices, which are now referred to as in the in the bill's reference prices for some commodities, were too high to start with, and now that you you know commodity dry, prices have dropped uh, some over the past year since the farm bill passed, I think you're going to start seeing uh, producers farming for the program rather than for the market. And uh, and I'm concerned about uh, you know the yeah the fiscal impacts and what that does to the political support uh, for the farm bill and um, and I hope we can uh, I, I, I again I there was a better way to do this I advocated for it uh, but you know when push comes to shove now we've got to try and make sure that uh, these programs are protected for our producers out there but this is a this is a big issue and it's uh, it could could get costly if uh, farmers start farming for the program instead of for the market. Senator Thin, we want to thank you for taking time to, to speak with us and to respond and talk about issues here on Open Mic. It is an open mic, and the mic is yours, sir. Well, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk with uh, I, all, the, all the folks who work so hard out there to provide uh, food and fiber and fuel for the world. And, and um, you know, I'm we want to work hard to make sure that we've got the right kind of policies that uh, create the markets for them to to really succeed and to prosper. And, um, you know, I've we talked a lot about the Farm Bill. One of the most important, I think, things that's out there in terms of the 
farm programs right now is a crop insurance program, and most farmers see that as their primary and most important safety net tool. And um, you know that's uh, that's always under attack as well. But uh, it's important that we uh, recognize the role that uh, agriculture plays not only in our our economy in areas like uh, the Midwest, but uh, the entire national economy. And uh, we're very blessed to have a lot of people who work really hard not only to feed our country, but to to feed the world. And we want to do everything we can to to support them. So thanks to all your listeners for uh, all the the work that they do. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. Our thanks to South Dakota U.S. Senator John Thune, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.